0: Welcome to DEFEN, episode number 48. Uh, this is Vijay from Holland. Rev from Belgium.
1: David from Chicago.
0: Hello, David. Hey, welcome, welcome to David. DEFEN.
1: Welcome. Thanks for having me here.
0: <laughs> so, um, I think we, we, we were trying to um, talk about uh, different things that is that are happening in Closure World. And uh, obviously, you've been working on uh, Clojure CLR, so we thought you know that'll be a nice topic for us to discuss today. Um, so before we get into the the poll discussion about CLR and on all the things that that uh, the the work that you're doing, um, can you give us a brief introduction about yourself and uh, what you're working on, and where did you come to? How did you end up in Clojure world? Okay,
1: uh, I'm uh, an academic by profession. I'm uh, a uh... I work in computer science, though for the last 25 years, I've really been a college administrator. I currently serve as dean of the College of Computing and Digital Media at DePaul University in Chicago. Oh. Uh, that's 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 my day job. That's what that's what <laughs> pays the bills. Um, I've been programming since I don't maybe want to say how long, but uh, I think I started my first Fortran program in 1973. Well, uh, right. Um, okay. Yeah, um, and I probably wrote my first Lisp program around 1978. I'm guessing when I was a graduate student. Okay. You win. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I win a lot of things <laughs> uh, in that regard. If it just comes to being old, I'm I'm working on it uh, every day. It works a little better.
2: <laughs> um, You're winning every day. <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> Difficult
0: um, to catch up. The,
1: yeah. <laughs> the. Um, so um, that's what I do during the day. I, uh, uh, my it's a it's a big big place. We have computer science and design, and actually a film school in in my unit. Oh wow! Uh, about one hundred and twenty full time faculty, uh, five thousand students.
0: Um, wow! When you said one hundred and twenty, I thought number of students. And oh 120, no, it's one
1: hundred and twenty faculty. F- wow! That's full time faculty. Probably another two hundred part time faculty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Fifty. 50 full-time staff. It's a it's a big operation. Um, yes. Computer science is the biggest part of that, and then that's the, the part I originally joined in when I when I started at DePaul. Um, so that's that's what I do. I don't. I've never been a professional programmer. Uh, I do have done consulting on the side, but has never paid all of my bills by any means. But I've obviously had to stay up with computing technology over the years. Um, so. This was closure CLR was one of my ways to sort of keep my hand in in things. Um, The um, impetus I've done Lispy things for a very long time. As I said, I started I think my first Lisp program in the late '70s, and actually um, as a graduate student, I um, uh, the university I was at didn't have much in the way of programming courses, so a friend and I created a, a programming sequence an intro programming sequence that started off with uh, one quarter of Pascal. You might remember Mm -hmm. that language. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Second quarter was data structures. And the third quarter, just for fun, we tossed in symbolic programming and Lisp. Okay. Uh, Because it was, you know no one told us what we could do, so we just did whatever we felt like doing. <laughs> yeah. um, and so well, that's, We feel
2: exactly the same way, you
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And my, and my background was in mathematics, so uh, and, and in logic in, in particular, so the lambda calculus and stuff was was dear to my heart anyway. So Lisp was an appropriate place to be. Uh-huh. So I think I started a Lisp that was probably some MacLisp variant of some type running on a deck 10 or something like that back in those days. Um, And when I went to DePaul, I did a lot of artificial intelligence work. And so I did a lot of Lisps. And I I cannot tell you how many Lisps I've worked in. I worked in uh, Lisps. I can't remember, but Franz Lisp was one. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Nil, which was a predecessor to uh, Common Lisp. um, The... uh,
0: it was Ver- called Nil?
1: Yeah, it was called Nil. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, no one ever <laughs> okay. heard of it. Uh, but uh, to, to give you an idea how long we were talking, I, I got Nil because I, I re- sent off to, to uh, MIT and asked him to send me a mag tape.
2: Uh, oh, right. Uh, okay. yeah.
1: So, yeah. Um, I, so that's how we got the source for that and, and got it up and running. Um, <laughs> it was on uh, predecessors to Common list when it was still being developed by the folks at, at Carnegie Mellon. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, those I've had lisp, lisp itches of various types uh, scratched by different things over the years. Yeah. Um,
2: so is this is this like something that's been common in the the last in the whole journey? For me, yeah, yeah. it's 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 been there at various points
1: along the way. Um, mm. As a practical matter, I've never actually taught it, for example, because the courses I taught never really required it. I've done a lot of other. Other things, some of which I, I can talk about, some of which I, I prefer not to remember. Um, <laughs> uh, particularly because I, I did some teaching and certificate programs uh, within my unit, which were not degree bearing. They're just sort of like, you know, here's some skills for the classroom, and there are for, for work, and other um, yeah, things I can't even remember anymore. But uh, don't don't talk to me about COM programming and some other things because right. uh, <laughs> I, have, I have bad memories or 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 visual c plus plus which i also worked in and uh, the microsoft foundation classes in fact i'm still maintaining old code i did in oh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, it gives me nightmares it's all right um, <laughs> well <laughs> did, was was it you
2: know with the lisp thing david was it because you, you mentioned the, the lambda calculus and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, so was it the um, was it like the functional programming stuff that that got you into it, or was that just is that something which is is a separate matter as far as you're concerned?
1: Well, I mean, of course, it, it's it's all, all LISPs are some variation of, of functional depending on on how you want to define that. Yeah, um, yeah. So. It was really more the symbolic programming aspects. I when I was right. still doing some AI stuff it was not not the, the modern day. It was very much uh, a, a much more focus on on symbolic programming, and we we taught. I actually taught courses in you know practically how to use symbolic programming techniques in in, in industry. I uh, I actually did some consulting work that 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 delivered in, in uh, prototypes in in lisp actually what
2: would you how would you describe symbolic programming to, to people that aren't familiar with it well
1: i don't know non-numeric, non numeric non non standard data structures uh, to give you an example of, of one thing i built it was a scheduling engine for a steel mill uh, that we defined a uh, form of temporal calculus where we manipulated uh, uh, notions of intervals and, uh, and uh, constraint time constraints on intervals and, and did that as a formal calculus that we implemented in Lisp and then plugged that into uh, an engine that did uh, uh, some uh, highly heuristic backtrack searches in order to develop schedules for the steel mill. Uh, I much easier to do that in Lisp than anything else in terms of uh, both doing you know, REPL-style development of code, but also mm-hmm. just, just the sheer data structures that were available uh, to work with. Um, you see that, of course, in, in Clojure these days because it mm-hmm. is in that, that line of work. Uh, I re-implemented some of those things in C++ so you can be done. It's just not nearly as much fun to
0: do it. Okay. <laughs> I think can can, can we get to for the I mean, one of the burning questions that we have in in, you know, in this podcast regularly? I think I want to get that away first. Mm-hmm. Um, so Emacs or some other shit. I mean, what do you use?
1: Oh man, I've used everything uh, <laughs> ex- ex- except, except editors that begin with Vim. I was going to say with, with V, but I've used Visual Studio a lot, so I, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. took care of VI. I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't get to, get it down to that. So uh, I was, I did Emacs for a long time. I've not been doing it that recently because the kind of code I've been working on, I've been mostly yeah. programming in C Sharp these days, which has landed me in the Visual Studio world, and I'm, yeah, I can live there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can live anywhere. I started on I started on punch cards, so you know nothing. Yeah, exactly. Me, that,
0: right? that, that's what that's what my, my next was question first was. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was my next question actually, because you know, how did you see the, um, the transition of the tools as well? Because it's been almost uh, I don't know thirty years of uh, programming or forty years of programming. Um, so how, how do you see you know the the tooling and the IDEs and because starting from punch cards all the way into Visual Studio uh, or, or Emacs. Um,
1: well, I, I don't know that I can say anything tremendously insightful about it. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, moving up from punch cards to, you know, even just, you know, I had to Emacs, some variation of Emacs very, very early, actually in the late 70s, I guess. I started working in it in, in different places. Uh, I, but I got to tell you, for for the, a lot of the work I did for in various places, you know, Visual Studio was, was having having the goodies to do the, the visual environment work, um, to, to build the interfaces, that stuff was all fine for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the modern world is just as interesting. I mean, I, I'm liking seeing a lot of the the lighter weight alternatives. Uh, I haven't had time to play a lot of with like VS Code and some of the other stuff that's out there right now in that, in, that environment. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm... You know, I, I spend as much time in Notepad Plus Plus as other things. I you know, I go whatever I got sitting on a machine. My biggest problem is I've used so many things and switch around so much. It doesn't matter what tool I am, I'm always lost. <laughs> uh, the uh, you know I I I used to I used to be really good at all my Emacs, uh you know uh, keyboards and Chords, you know, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's yeah. not built into my fingers anymore like it was I mean I I was one of the guys that you know started getting repetitive stress injuries in my little finger from you know holding down control Controls, keys and things yeah. like that but right, right, right. yeah yeah. Um,
2: yeah watch out Vijay
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, I think now, now I have the caps lock uh, syndrome instead of you kind know, of control syndrome. You know? Right? Yeah, you you switched up. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and I, I think uh, for better or worse, I switched to the Wim model editing in in Emacs as well. So yeah, it helps it helps a bit. Anyway, um, so uh, closure and and CLR. So mm-hmm. how did the project start, and how did you get into this this thing?
1: Um, it started back around. Just, just over a decade ago. It was in late 2008, actually, when I started mm. thinking about it. Um, I was bored, mostly, um, <laughs> and, uh, because I'd, I'd been doing a lot of... i have been programming at .NET and, and, and playing some other games in terms of the, what I was teaching and a little bit of consulting work, but I was not feeling the love particularly. I wanted something interesting to work on that would have a little mm. intellectual challenge. And there were three things that, that came together for me in my head at that time. One was, uh, it'd be nice to do some LISP again, because I hadn't done any real LISP for, in any real sense, for a decade, probably. Mm. Um, I was interested in doing more work in functional programming, also. Uh, like, I felt like there was a whole, whole side of functional programming that had developed. While I wasn't paying a lot of attention, I was off doing other things, and I wanted to put my face into that. And I was also interested because of some other projects that were going on with how some of these things were being implemented on uh, uh, runtimes like the JVM and the CLR. Um, in particular, this was around the time when there were things like IronPython and Iron Ruby being developed right. on the Microsoft yeah. side. And I was just curious as to how they were approaching it. Hmm. I, you know, I have taught a compiler class a long time ago, but I, you know... I never actually tried to develop that kind of thing, but I was just very interested in sort of what the techniques were and as I was kind of playing things through in my mind, I just happened to run across an article about closure uh, in a couple of different magazines or you know trade pubs and um it just struck me that that was a the confluence that might bring all those things together um, mm-hmm. in particular, I knew that it, you know. Rich Hickey was, you know, doing this mostly on the JVM at that point. But if you actually looked and read carefully, you would have seen that he had originally started the development on jointly the in the JVM and CLR.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: and um, so I said, well, you know, if no one's doing it on the CLR, let me just play around with it. So uh, I don't know if you know the the real background is that I went back and did a little spelunking on the web, but you know, Rich did things before closure in, the, in, in various aspects of, of Lisp before he settled on Clojure. Yeah. Uh, there was one uh, thing he announced back in 2002, uh, which was .list, .lisp, which was yeah. uh, described as an interactive Lisp-like language for .NET scripting and development, mm-hmm. uh, having deep .NET integration. Um, and so forth so he'd had ideas about that going back well before closure actually existed and I guess some must have been sometime around 2005 he took time off from consulting to start working on developing closure in the background and um, uh, the initial public release was announced in October of 2007 um, and it was kind of late, about a year after that, that I was just thinking about what I was going to do, and that's when I first ran across notion, uh, the notion of closure itself. So I wrote Rich in January of 2009 and asked him if uh, he would uh, maybe answer questions for me as I as I worked on this project. Um, mm-hmm. I, I went back and, and found the email, and um, uh, when I wrote to him, I had uh, I sent him a screen capture of Mike' uh, initial attempt at closure CLR. I don't know if you remember one of the first um, things that did, he did you used. Pick up
2: his code, by the way, David. Always
1: it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I wasn't smart enough to do it from scratch. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so not not the not the CLR code. I started off with what was the public code. That was all JVM. So I don't oh, know what he okay. wrote before that. This was just a straight out the, the JVM code. I just started well, that's uh, what re- I mean, rewriting right? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. There was no CLR, CLR code, code in it. No, no. Actually, I looked at it, and I had actually, if you went back around in that early history, the, the ants demo was a rather famous thing that that he yeah, demoed in yeah, some yeah, of yeah. his early things. So I actually sent a screenshot of the ants demo playing in my closure CLR, um, uh, which was the GUI on it was implemented in Windows Forms.
3: And <laughs> wow. so
1: I, when I first talked to him, I had that much running. It was incredibly slow at that time because of some of the techniques I was using. Certainly nothing had been optimized, but, uh, when I first wrote to him, I already had all the basic data structures and VARs and refs and agents and transactions and Mm multi-methods, um, were all functional and I could do interop to do things like uh, Windows forms programming in it. Um, Wow! so, um, I was already looking at things like Iron Python and Iron Ruby, which were based on the dynamic language runtime, the DLR, nice. uh, that provided some of the tools for trying to embed languages like this and, 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 and provided some, some very nice tools I may talk about in a bit for, for doing this. Um, yeah. So I wrote to him in mid January 2009. He replied a couple of days later and said he was interested in having an official .NET port of Closure based on original Closure sources. I'm, I'm quoting here. There's definitely interest in the community as well. And then he said, what is important to me is that any effort I apply ends up in the Clojure project. Towards that end, I would ask you to consider making your efforts a contribution to Closure under the contributor agreement. Then your .NET port could live in Clojure contrib alongside Clojure script which was already, I didn't realize Closure Script even went back that far. So that's uh, mm-hmm. longer ago than I thought. The long-term objective would be a set of core CLJ files that supported all ports without changes, all platform specifics isolated in the support libraries. But that last mm-hmm. part still hasn't been accomplished yet. We can talk <laughs> more about that later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I actually had no plan on initially doing anything public uh, to me this was a, a side project that I wanted to work on and then if it got good, maybe I would you know think about opening it up but Rich basically said, uh, if you want to talk to me, open it from the start so right. I was I was public rather earlier than I would have liked so the first commit to the closure CLR uh, re- repo was uh, February 3rd
0: 2009 Wow.
1: So we just passed our 10th anniversary. Yeah, exactly <laughs> and uh two thousand and eighty commits later, uh, here we are. Um, so it's it's been an interesting ten years. <laughs> so that's how it got started. Um, yeah, I, yeah. you know I, I over the years Rich answered a few questions, and other than that I've been pretty much just doing it.
0: And how is the how is the design process I mean is is it like because um uh, if I understand correctly uh, at some point uh, the the main closure was essentially on jvm yes um so w- what were the challenges or are still open challenges that 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 you solved or you're still working on to to make it CLr compatible um. or, or- the, the, ones the, I, the ones
1: I solved are still the ones I'm working on, and, and <laughs> I, I have some interesting plans for that. I mean, Closure CLR has been functional and, and mapped the functionality of of the mainline Closure. What? How, how should we refer to the other Closure? Just Closure, I guess. Yeah, Closure. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 when, when I write about it, I sometimes refer to Closure JVM, but I'd be the only yeah, person to enough. call it that. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. That um, <laughs> there there were some real challenges based upon the difference in, in platforms. I mean, at one level, they're not so different that I had to do massive rewrites. Mm-hmm. So so my original process uh, when I started to build it was to run through all the support code. For example, the data structures, you, you have all these wonderful um, persistent immutable data structures floating around that yep. really form the core of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you've got things like VARs and you've got namespaces and you've got these basic stuff that, that's the, the, the underlying infrastructure that's implemented in Java on, in Clojure mm-hmm. JVM yeah. so that I could translate relatively straightforwardly um, Rich writes beautiful code um, very clear the, that translation process from Java to, to C Sharp is not exactly automated but it was very easy and it didn't require a lot of, that much thought um, so, you know, I could, I could port those over and get them running fairly quickly. And, uh, mm. that, that was okay. The compiler is where you run into the problems because that's, that's where you hit, hit the actual underlying platform in, in a direct way. And the problems there are several, um, and it's not even at the level of emitting uh, the IL code that, that comes out because even that has got some similarities. Uh, I mean, a lot of the same opcodes are there and, and do the same sorts of things. It's the same underlying model for the engine. But where you run into differences are, are the things that, that the CLR has added or done differently than the JVM. And some of those I, I don't handle well today and, and, and have some plans to do that. I, I, we can talk about that. Uh, some of the things are like just uh, assemblies. You know, hmm. the, there's a whole different model for what how you how you package IL code in in the two things. So you have class files over in the uh, uh, the JVM world. Uh, is that what they're called these days? Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, thank class you. Ones, yeah. uh, and you know everything is the class files are all in individual at a, at a class level, right and you can just you know transport them on mass someplace mm-hmm. it, everything is is tied up in packaging into assemblies on the CLr and so mm-hmm. you really have to think a l- little bit differently about how that interacts um there are um You know different numerics that you have to deal with, and and like, like for example, uh, there are no unsigned uh, in 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 uh, JVM world, right? But there are unsigned data uh, integer data types in 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 the CLR. That's not a big problem until you look at some of the assumptions that are made about how, for example, the integer types are handled within the language. For example, everything mm-hmm. promotes up to long. That's yeah. okay. If, yeah. As long as we don't pretend there's an unsigned log around you're you're just fine until you actually want to interoperate with the underlying platform that actually knows they're unsigned logs you need to, to deal with them yeah but probably the the two biggest pieces that that cause problems are are value types and and generics mm. um, value types are um, they exist only on a very limited set of data types within um the JVM, primarily the, 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 uh, the primitive numeric types. So ints and longs and doubles and those things are all handled as, as stack allocated unless you need to pass them to things that uh, don't know that that's what they're getting. So you need to, to at that point, uh, put them out on the heap and, and put a reference to them. So you basically box them, as it is said. So you move from, from a, a small L long type into a capital L long type, which is, which is a box version of long yeah um and you know that is handled in even at even this level of primitive numeric somewhat differently in between the two engines and you have to figure out how to how to manage some of those differences but more to the point is is that it it's an extensible class of of uh uh types in the uh in the CLR world, so value types exist and are, can be defined by the user. I think Java is eventually going to get there. If I understand, yeah, maybe developments.
0: maybe in the next version or something. I yeah, they're not there yet. Yeah,
1: right. So you know, you know, twenty years later is a good time to do it. I guess. Um, <laughs> the uh, but but value types allow you to define <laughs> your Long user took
2: about twenty years,
1: didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, exactly. <laughs> um, the. Uh, the um, so value types, allow like users to define their own uh, stack-allocated types, essentially. And you get uh, mm-hmm. incredible performance improvements with those types if you can avoid going through boxing. Mm-hmm. I kind of half-assed the handling of, of value types uh, because I was not trying to make significant changes to the compiler. Uh, let, me, let me back up. One of the things I was trying to do... In my initial approach, uh, closure CLR, you know version one, and we're still version one, uh, was was to not very much to, to vary as, as little as possible from what the JVM was doing, what, what Rich's main line of code was doing for multiple reasons. One, I, I wasn't necessarily well, I can think of three reasons. One is, if anybody else was ever going to take over this project, probably it'd be good not to have it deviate too much, uh, so that they could even more easily track changes across. There was also some hope that, as Rich said in his original comment to me, that uh, you know the long-term objective is to have you know a set of core CLJ files that support all ports without changes, all platform specifics isolated in the support libraries. Not achieved yet. We can come back to that. Uh, but for example. When you look at the implementation of, of Clojure JVM, there's a set of files that, that are defining Clojure itself, right? There's core CLJ and some related files like that that define a lot of the runtime uh, in, in defining Clojure itself as it, as it uh, bootstraps itself up. Mm-hmm. Um, the If you go today into Clojure CLR and look at core CLJ, it is all the line numbers are still preserved. You, oh. go to, you go to any line, you go to line 1482 in that file. It's, it's the exact same function and exact same line in that function in there. Yeah, the the idea. idea was to change as little as possible. And that right. included at that level. I couldn't do that for all files. Like, uh, you know, there's some files where they embedded a lot of, uh, they they did straight out of calls to to their uh, to the ASM library that does their IL yep. generation. I had to toss that stuff. I can't do line to line on on that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as much as I could, I wanted to keep that. The same thing was true of the compiler, particularly because in, in the early years, it, things were changing too fast. You know, Rich, you know, would put in variations on the compiler, and I don't know how long it took him, but you know, uh, running backwards like I was doing. Uh, you know, It might take me several months of experimentation in the background to try to figure out how to translate some of those changes over into the compiler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't want to make too many changes while it was in, more in flux um, mm-hmm. because it was just too hard for me to track and, and make sure that I was doing semantically equivalent things. So I stayed very close, which meant there were things that could have been done in the Clojure CLR compiler that just didn't get done. In hmm. this first round, um, so value types for one are not as handled as, as well as they could. Um, what you want to do is try to avoid um, boxing as much as possible, and that requires a, a greater degree of analysis of the types that are being passed through in the in the flow of code in a, in a function.
0: But how how does it uh, if when, when you're talking about value types? Because mm-hmm. in in Java, um, I think only the primitive things are the value types. Right? Primitive and numerics, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is the does it uh, when I'm using Clojure CLR? Mm -hmm. um, Is the syntax different to specify that? Okay, this is this is different than than JVM.
1: No, Uh, because they still look like a class. It's just that uh, as it's Mm -hmm. implemented um, and 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 handled at runtime, the class being known to be a value type when the when the IL that's generated for it will keep them on the stack, Uh, 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 so that. I guess it's not the IL; it's the actual, you know, machine code that, that gets generated off of the IL. Uh, when you know you're dealing with a static type, it will it will it'll maintain it on the stack unless it needs to be boxed out for some reason in order to pass it to something that's expecting a reference type, and that's okay. when you have to box it. And then, the thing um, is, you-
0: I don't I don't have much. Uh, obviously, I mean, I'm I'm completely stupid about this stuff. But so, if it is a stupid question, please uh, shoot it down. Um, so I'm thinking the the persistent data structures that that you have like maps and uh, sets and vectors, the uh, they are value types as well on on no. CLR. No. Okay.
1: No. I mean that, that's there's no point to do that because those typically the mm-hmm. things you do as as value types tend to be small. And because you're going to blow the stack out, I mean, and, yeah, yeah. and it, it doesn't make any sense to do it. So you're typically yeah. doing it. To give an example, and I'm sure we'll talk a little more about the uh, Unity and Arcadia guys later who, who are yeah. ta- giving me all kinds of inspiration for new things to do. Um, they're working in there with, with let's say, a, a point type, a, a 3D point type. So it's basically yeah. three, three floats, let's say. Right. Well, three mm-hmm. floats is small. Right, Mm -hmm. and so to to pass those around on the stack is very efficient. To sit down there and box them, where you know really all you need is is three floats worth of space, and now you've got to have three floats worth of space plus pointers, and you know it it just doesn't make any sense to do it. Mm -hmm. The problem is uh, that they ran into is there's not enough analysis of the flow of types through um, uh, functions in the compiler as it is right now that there's boxing that happens that could be avoided. Mm -hmm. And they get really quite incredible speed-ups. They've done some rewrites of the compiler to handle some of these things that um, they can get really tremendous speed-ups just just by avoiding the boxing. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, And so I'll I'll come back later about how how I might fix that and use some of their work. But the other major piece that causes headaches is, is generics. Generic types. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are generics in Java, but they're not real. I mean, they, they, they disappear. They get erased. Uh, yeah, they get erased. Yeah. They are they are absolutely first class citizens in in uh, in .NET. But I think .NET in, in put them in in 2.0 or something like that. So they've been there mm-hmm. for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, it was a significant effort, and it's a very interesting history about where those ideas came from. But they s- stole a lot of ideas from you know. Um, other aspects of functional programming (laughs) languages and some other things. And and they are true generics. Mm -hmm. And there are places in there where I don't think I've handled them as well as they could be. And it comes up in in, um, here and there. I mean, you can can work with them. But, for example, uh, I did not, for example, try to build the immutable data types, let's say, uh, persistent vector. Hmm. Uh, persistent vector in JVM, it's, it's, it's all objects. I mean, what, what you have is an array of objects. And, yeah. you know, conceivably, I could have made those actual generic types, uh, which has its own set of problems I don't think I'll get into today. But, you know, you could sit down there and avoid boxing if you did just a, a, a persistent vector of, uh, of ints. You hmm. could avoid boxing all the ints. Yeah. Right. And 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 save some space on that. You'd you blow some of the uh, caching characteristics if you tried to do that with really large value types. But I don't want to get into those details. I don't. I think mm-hmm. it'd still be a win just because you'd avoid uh, uh, the the external references uh, mm-hmm. or the, the boxing aspects of it. So, you know, if if we did that. I, I could play games where we brought in a persistent vector of ints and, and you could play with that as equally well as you played with a persistent vector of objects. But again, that would be a non-trivial change potentially to a, a variety of things. So mm-hmm. those are the things I, I, I had to play with and, and, and figure out. And um, and my goal was to keep up as best as I could with what was going on in the mainline JVR closure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, just make it so that as, as easily as possible, people could try to use it, and also to port things across from Closure JVM like libraries and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think I've kept up mostly with a, less than a six month lag uh, mm-hmm. on on uh, the major releases in in Closure, uh, mainline Closure. Uh, I'm, yep. I'm about two commits away from one point ten. Uh, oh. <laughs> I got got a got a couple other little 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 fixes I need to put in, but 1.10 is really feature ready and and could could go out today probably if I wanted to. So uh, that's I'm I'm a couple months behind them, but that's usually what happens.
2: Yeah, that's that's awesome. awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what about the libraries like Core Sync? Because uh, I know C Sharp has uh, in, uh, or at least they have channels, or is it the similar uh, concept like Core Sync or other libraries?
1: Yeah, the the no. problem is I have to have to port all those. And, yeah, and and th- this is this is part of the problem and, and of 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 using this tool is is that the tooling is just not there in the same degree it is around closure JVM.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: it's a it's a very small community. Uh, not that many people contributing to it. Um, anybody who's developing a library for closure is is not going to do the work to make a run under closure clr. And yeah. some things will work directly. There are some libraries, a few that I've brought over that work directly. It's because they have no interop in them. Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's a straight closure library, I can I'll mm. run it. that's not going to be an issue. Mm. Uh, interop obviously has to change. Even as something as simple as, you know, you're calling string.append. Yeah. You got to change the capital A, to a or little a to a capital A. Temporary. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the string-append is pretty much the same, uh, except yeah. the name. But you still got to go through and change the source codes.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, now, at one point, they introduced uh, reader conditionalization. Yeah. I, can, I can almost say that reader conditionalization, conditionalization. <laughs> um, and uh, as an attempt to to be able to do that. Uh, and it, it could certainly could be used for that. But, of course, again, the guy who's off writing, uh, uh, let's pick something, NREPL, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the network REPL library. Who's going to sit down there and every time he makes a change, you know, yeah, you make the we have yeah, to make yeah. an equivalent change in, in because the networking code is different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, yet it's non-trivial to, to make those changes. Now, if you sat down to design the library... Or initially in the right way, which would be to try to figure out how to isolate interop. Mm.
3: Uh,
1: you could interrupt You can do that in several ways. Have either you'd have to think about an interop uh, shim of some type, potentially, right? And just, just yeah. r- write your own little API to 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 do the networking calls you need. Abstract those out, and then implement those in a separate library on mm. either side. If you did that, you could do that. But again. Who, who, nobody wants to sit down and do that that level of work because the easiest thing is just sit down there and just do straight out interop to the to the, to the to JVM the GDM, yeah. and be done with it. And that's one of the, of course, one of the wonderful things about working in closure is that that process of calling out to the underlying libraries is so easy.
3: Hmm.
1: So I can go back through on any of these libraries and do the work. But as, yeah. if it's only me, it's 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 a lot of work. I maintain. Yeah, 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 yeah. I maintain about. Six or seven libraries that are, are essential. Um, I'm, you asked about core sync. I'm about to get back to yeah. that finally. Yeah, yeah, well, um, of course. So there are some that are absolutely essential, like the new spec libraries. Um, yeah, right. I have to. Yeah. I have to have those. I mean, that's that's just absolutely core to the whole endeavor. Uh, mm-hmm. The the testing libraries, you know, data generator, data generators, yeah. and those libraries are absolutely essential to be able to run all the tests that are written in Clojure. And I run almost. Yes. I run all the relevant tests. The test suite all runs across the board, except for certain things that don't make any sense at all, hmm. um, and that's part of the way I know that I'm matching what's yeah, yeah, going on yeah. on the JVM side. Um, but you know, core async, I got 95 percent through with it and ran into a problem, and then ran out of time, and I don't. It never quite got finished. It's you know, most of it works, but nrepl it all works or d- did work, uh, except for Uh, interrupt or interruptible operations, right? Mm -hmm. In in NREPL, you can start an operation remotely, right? You're working across the network. We can also go signal that you want to interrupt that. Mm -hmm. And I screwed up something in how I configured my thread startups on the NREPL that they can't be interrupted. So now I got to go back and figure out every place I screwed that up and I just haven't I, my time is limited I actually yeah, do have, yeah, I do have a full-time job you know and, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and, and my, my, my wife likes me to have think I have a life too. I don't know what that is. Um, so um, th- those are you know Corey sync was one of those that it just didn't it, it's mostly done and I should yeah. get back to it but I, just the press of trying to keep up with mainline closure I just it's not 100% complete. And those things mm. affect. If you don't have those, those extra libraries that that people are, that bring people to closure and they're not there on the JV, mm. on the CLR side, then that effect, certainly affects the, the community. Now, recently, mm. I've been getting a little more interest of, of people looking at things like this. I, some fellow wrote me a couple months ago saying his, his company was going to give him time off to complete the NREPL port. So I was very happy mm. to hear that. Cool. um I just talked to a fellow in uh, is in the Netherlands I think uh who's, yeah yeah um, I know
0: one company that is doing clue um, is it metaquest or is, that,
1: Mediquest, is yeah, yeah. MediQuest, yeah yeah uh, um so um see's or I think his name is um yeah sees he, he's about yeah, sees. He, um is about to release some libraries that that he's he did which is to do some uh, uh, common work that would support both JVM and the CLR, and uh, again, you know, getting more of this stuff out there would would be nice. Mm. The community is definitely a, 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 a uh, an issue. There's not that many people using Closure CLR. I have no idea how many. I do know <laughs> of of a few interesting projects here and there. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's tough. We don't have the support of the mainline Closure community right mm-hmm. either the people and the ancillary people who are developing all these wonderful libraries and also closure core itself the, the community right around rich that you know the Cognitech folks and so forth that are involved in it uh you know they're not interested because that's not how they make money you know yeah, you know, yeah. they're, they're they, <laughs> they do consulting work and they're very clear about that and i i would guess if they had suddenly massive clients interested in the CLR maybe they would be uh, spending more time on it so to, to commit to closure CLRs is is is, uh, is tough it's 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 me and then some people who I appreciate very much who've done some uh, additional work and helped me out on it but it's it's that's where it is plus I'll, I know you're about to ask a question but but plus the Microsoft community in the world, particularly in the early days of this project, uh, open source was not exactly the favorite thing in that community. At Micro- if, if, if it wasn't invented at Microsoft, it, it, it doesn't exist, didn't really count. Yeah. Even even things like Iron Ruby and Iron Python didn't really get significant traction, even though they were very interesting projects. Hmm. Um, so, that, of course, we've seen a massive change in the uh, public uh, stance towards... Open source yeah. in the Microsoft domain, so I'm hoping that will
0: help. I mean, Microsoft owning GitHub, we're like what the fuck, I man? This is <laughs> this is impossible to imagine, you know? Because I, I remember, I mean, like 15 years ago or something, I was doing you know MSDN subscription and following through all oh, that yes. app and all that shit. And anyway, uh, Ray. No, I was going to
2: add. Yeah, I, mean, I think Steve Ballmer once called Linux a cancer. <laughs> uh, you know, yes. So definitely. You know from cancer it seems like the patient is cured and uh has made a lazarus <laughs> like recovery yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. pretty good um no i was gonna what i, I can't <laughs> do ah right uh what was the question yeah it was um whether or not you um took any kind of inspiration or any like cross fertilization from the closure script people No, because because I agree that, like you know, um, actually no, forget that. We'll maybe we'll rub that out. In a bit, okay? <laughs> or maybe it's not. Who cares? We never never ate this thing. <laughs> I'll come back to it. <laughs> Apart from like the the open source thing, is why do you think the Lisp per se Lisps? Because Lisps are kind of interesting. So why isn't Lisp interesting to Windows developers? Or because they haven't got another Lisp, have they? As far as I know. Oh, maybe they do. Maybe
1: they do, and I, I'm not aware of it. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think of of anything that's going across my radar. Not not particularly. Uh, I, I and I don't know why that that is the case. Uh, I don't have any great insight. But they've you know, uh, you can't get F sharp to you know gain significant mind share over there either I mean and I'm very interested in what they're doing and you know yeah. that's something that actually is supported very well by by Microsoft it seems to be getting
2: a more bit of mind coaching, share yeah. lately and yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah um so but you know why that is the case you know uh, yeah i you know it, it's
2: Especially the quick oh, thing I to you, actually, is because like, you implement it in C sharp, but did you consider implementing it in F sharp, or was that not round at the time, or is there still? Quite not, well,
1: 10 years ago, no. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> right, and, and moreover, um, but put a pin on that, because I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. All right. okay, but you okay. think, no, but. No, but.
2: We've got value types in F sharp, we've got them, we've got them, we've got pins. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: My job would have been much harder if I had gone to F-sharp, A, because I didn't know it, B, because nobody knew it yeah. 10 years yeah. ago. <laughs> um, and um, and think about the, the translation from Java to C-sharp is so easy. It's, it's almost mindless. So uh, I can do a yeah, lot of yeah, the work without yeah. even thinking very hard about yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. and if I had gone to the F-sharp side, I would have, I might as, you know, at that point, I've been like translating, well, I don't know, into another mm-hmm. language entirely. Oh, the, yeah. from going from java to c sharp was was pretty much rote mm. um, so i didn't think about it at that time c sharp was the obvious thing to do
0: yeah and and yeah. coming back to the the cross platform thing as you said i mean it, the the community is is not um, actually or, or at least in, in the closure world everybody's focused on getting it up and running in, in jvm but there are some libraries which are like CLJC. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they're they're both in javascript and and uh, closure um, so, what do you think are the challenges to 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 uh, the first email from Rich that that said, okay, I should be able to write one CLJ and then running it on all three, uh, all three platforms?
1: Well, it's it's pretty much what I was describing a mo- moment ago. Is, is mm-hmm. that it takes work, and it takes coordination, <laughs> and yeah. it takes it takes people who know both platforms. Oh, and yeah. that's, most that's... most people are just trying to solve their own problems, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And and so if if I'm working in Clojure, I'm running on the JVM, I know my JVM libraries very well. I'm going to design and write this thing. I probably don't know the .NET that well. I don't want to think about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I probably would need somebody else to coordinate with on it. And uh, to do it really well, like I say, if you've thought about it for very long, you could sit down and say, well, okay, I'm working with threads here. The thread libraries yeah. are a little bit different. I could push everything off into a think about the API I need against threads, push those off into uh, you know a side library and and, and uh, in my implementation enclosure, and then mm-hmm. conditionalize those in terms of their implementation into interrupt calls. Mm-hmm. Um, not that hard to do, uh, for the most part. Um, you can you can if you want to get fancy, you can even you know you you could. If if you just wrote an interop as 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 a function call, you you could turn it into a macro that expands differently depending on which platform you're on, and you never see it, but it's it's very right. efficient and and you know. But who's going to do that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's basically the. I mean, time if, you, if, you, if, you,
1: if you take a look at nRipple, nRipple is 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 very nice, but it's got you know things like. Uh, 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 in, 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 uh, Data encoding library in there that you have to make changes to. There's different data yeah. types. You know how you interoperate with the I/O changes. Yeah. So it's it's not that hard to do. Mm. But who's who's going to do it? Yeah. There's <laughs> a bandwidth issue basically. It's not a platform issue. It's it's a it's a human problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, so, there,
3: so yeah,
0: there there are a couple of things that that you know we we pinned down apart from the one that um, so the the dynamic language runtime tooling you're saying something about what what kind of things are available on clr to to implement these things
1: yeah uh, originally i i actually used the dlr too much uh, mm-hmm. the python iron python and i ruby generate asts and when they do their parsing of the language, and they generate ASTs, uh, abstract syntax tree, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and then they actually use the DLR itself to do um, code generation into the IL.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I found that didn't work well for me, and it was kind of slow for what I needed to do. Um, particularly the way closure—you know—you're doing everything on the fly. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so. And, and sorry, IL is like intermediate language. Or intermediate language. Or? So. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> like JVM bytes, I guess. Yeah, yeah bytecodes in, in JVM, yeah, byte right? Code, yeah. yeah, so that's IL. Mm. Um, they just, I, I, I don't know if they, Microsoft never calls them bytecodes, maybe <laughs> it's a trademark issue. I have no idea. Probably, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so the intermediate language for uh, uh, .NET. Um, mm. And, um, but there are pieces of it that, that actually work very well, and, and I use it for some things that, it give me actually occasionally some slight advantages over, over the JVM version, though I've never tried to benchmark it to see how much. Hmm. Um, but uh, there's some nice stuff in there for doing what in C Sharp is called dynamic. Uh, I'm not sure when they introduced dynamic. Um, people are probably more familiar with var, where you don't have to actually, you can declare a variable and never actually declare its actual data type, but yeah. With vars, you actually know what the data type is. You just didn't bother to write it down, right? It uses type inferencing and just moves the data type around with the variable. And, you know, you get the type from how it was initialized and you move it on. Dynamic allows you, for example, to say, I want to do an operation like call method foo on this thing. I don't even know what the type of the thing is. And this mm-hmm. is not, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's not, um, Inheritance based, uh, it's yeah. it's literally I could send in two completely unrelated classes and at runtime dynamically have it figure out what it means to call foo on this object.
0: Isn't it similar uh, to invoke dynamic on? Uh, yes, on JVM. Yeah.
1: Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which is a much more recent development. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but they the DLR itself um, supports what are known as call sites, mm-hmm. uh, which implement this. And dynamic call sites essentially sit down there and develop code on the fly to do the type discriminations necessary, let's say for a method call. So when it comes in, it knows nothing. the first time you call it, it'll sit down there and say, "What am I calling this on? I don't know how to do this." It so will go off and say, "Oh, what you are doing here is calling this method on this type." And it will generate a little hunk of code that says, "If you have this type, call this, do this call." Hmm. And if you then come into that same call site with a different type later on and it doesn't match the, uh, the discrimination code that's sitting there to figure out what type it is, then it will add more code in and dynamically reconfigure that that call site for you. So there's a bunch of support for doing that. So there's a bunch of places where uh, in the CLR, if you're doing, ref- you can get rid of a lot of reflection at compile time in, in, in Clojure. If you put type hints in. Yeah. Right. And and of course, a lot of people will code with type warnings on, right? So the mm, reflection yeah. warnings on so that you don't yes. don't have to do runtime reflection. Uh, and so you try to take care of a compile time. But in those cases where you can't do that, you then have to sit down at runtime. You say, oh, I've got this type. and Let me go off and retrieve the method and do the do the appropriate filtering on the methods to find the best match and everything else. And I can do that little, I can use this dynamic call site mechanism that's, that C-sharp now has, and, and mm. DLR is what originally provided that, that mechanism. And the overall process of just doing method matching, I'm using the same code that is used in these dynamic calls to, to do these discriminations. I can do that at, at compile time also and use that same set of code to do that. So that's primarily where I'm using the DLR Mm-hmm. Is is for the, these dynamic callouts um, at this point. Um, so anyway,
3: mm-hmm.
0: so that's the DLR tooling stuff that um, right. Okay, so let's let's talk about the Unity and you know the, how how it is um, giving you new ideas in right. taking taking CLR uh, closure CLR in a, in a different direction probably or, or better direction
1: better better direction. So yeah. Um, there's two fellows in New York City that that contacted me at one point, uh Tim's uh, Gardner and and actually Ramsey Guns- Nasser was was the one who initially contacted me and s- saying that they were using closure CLR, and was, I'm, I'm always happy when somebody tells me they're actually using it, except, <laughs> except for the pressure it puts on me. Um, <laughs> and that they were using it in unity. Uh, Unity works on the .NET platform, and they were actually bringing Closure in there so that they could have a running Repl inside the Unity platform to do, you know, Closure-style Lispy Repl programming on the fly in the Unity framework. And what they were running into were the fa- things that impacted the performance of that, because they want to deliver games. I mean. Game, guy, game guys, are serious. They like performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so something about frame rates and things. I, you know, yeah. uh, they seem they seem to care. I don't know. <laughs> um, so they started uh, reworking parts of, of the compiler and and s- scratching other itches that that were caused by by things that, that could have been done better. One of those was uh, redoing some some of the code generation aspects. And sitting down there and and, um, uh, doing a better job of tracking data types through the functions so they could avoid boxing primarily. Mm -hmm. There is um, a little bit of work on trying to avoid boxing in this way, beyond, you you can pick up some of it. by by doing type hinting and so forth to avoid reflection and, and so on in enclosure in in JVM. But when it comes to the fact that they don't really support value types because all they have are the primitives, and even there, they kind of, primitive numerics, and even there, they kind of punt on it. So one of the ways they got efficiency out in terms of handling primitive numerics was to introduce primitive interfaces um, where they introduced something like uh, 350 new interfaces. Wow, <laughs> which all have one method in them called, I think, invoke static or something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, who, which have which. Why there are so many? Is because they w- ran through all of the type signatures for the parameters, up to four parameters, and the return type. So there's mm-hmm. an interface whose name is OD, uh, mm-hmm. which is what I feel like when I look at 350 templates is, a, is an OD. <laughs> um, but that's one that, that takes, um, I forget which order the argument's in, an, an object parameter and a double return. OK.
2: Ah, okay. So yeah,
1: yeah. what happens is if you put, and so there's there's OD. There's OOD. There's L. Yeah, they yeah. Do it, But they only do it for combinations of object, double, and long. Hmm. Okay. OK. And so what happens is if you have uh, an iPhone, a, a closure function, that has type hints on the parameters and return type, and those type uh, parameters say that, OK, I got a long here, a double here, and it returns a long, then it will generate an additional interface beyond the regular iPhone interface that that all the functions have in Clojure. It will identify, it will do whatever I just said, an ODL uh, uh, interface on it. And then as you're compiling against it, uh, other things against that function, and they can detect that it's got this primitive interface, and if you got the right types sitting there, then you can pass the types in directly without going through boxing.
2: Awesome!
1: Yeah. So you get a, you can get a, 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 a you can avoid the, the boxing steps on those calls. The problem is hmm. because they have to they, they need all these interfaces ahead of time, and they have to limit it so it's only up to four parameters and the and return type all have to be. Object double or long, yeah. And so everything's forced forcing that. Well, I have an infinite number of types I have to work yeah. with potentially, right? It's a, <laughs> and not known ahead of time. But of course, this is where generics come in because we have real generics, right? Generics aren't type erased away; they're real. I yeah. got I got a function type. I can just I can say this is a this is a, this. I can support the function interface with a, you know a double a double and return a long. Yeah. And I don't do that right now because I track exactly what they're doing mm. in the JVM. Right. So future plans would be to sit down there and, and get rid of all their limitations on primitive type hinting. There are limitations. You, you cannot put primitive type hints other than double and long
3: mm.
1: on things. So toss all that. So it's starting to diverge a little bit from what's possible on one platform versus the other so that I can start to do some of these things and then take advantage of what Tims and Ramsey have been doing to take real advantage of that information. They've also played a lot of fun games in terms of, uh, um, because they're working sort of after the fact, um, they basically have like isolated the code generation out as a separate step for what they need to do. Hmm. And so th- they play some interesting games, like rather than generating directly into IL, they generate into an intermediate, uh, uh symbolic representation of the IL that they can do some, uh, you know, um, uh, key keyhole um, uh, optimizations, optimizations on. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, and um, y- there are games there that that could be played. Yeah. Um, and that's, so, that's a nice
0: that's a nice pun. You know, talking about Arcadia, then you know, you're introducing there are some games that can be played there.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, so you already, have, of course, did an interview with with Tim's and and, and had some talk yeah. about that. And um, yeah. you know, I don't use Arcadia because I don't. Write Unity games, but yeah, you know, yeah. the, the fact that they're doing that is and needed to, to face these issues ha- has been significant and, and really quite an inspiration. And they've done a lot of work that I hope to steal, like everything <laughs> else in Closure. Yeah. Everything, everything in Closure CLR is basically from somewhere else. Um, so, so there's that aspect. The other aspect would be that there are things I did, I you know, there was. I was the only person using Closure CLR, as far as I know, for years. And so there are things that are probably aren't documented as well. So one of my thoughts is actually just go through and I shouldn't say this, but but rewrite the whole thing.
2: Wow. And take Ooh, note, awesome.
3: Take
1: note of every single thing I do that deviates from the JVM and get that properly documented so that mm. the next, whoever follows me and the larger community really has a good sense of, 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 of all the differences. And, and, mm. and uh, you know, I think documentation is one of the things that certainly is lacking. You can get it up and running. There's enough documentation on what to do. But there are corners that probably oh, I might be the only person who knows about. Um, and that, uh, that comes to the F-sharp part because I get bored easily. And the notion of just doing that work and, and not doing something significantly different doesn't strike me as very interesting. Right. So one of the, one of the thoughts I've had is actually doing a complete re- rewrite in F Sharp.
3: No um, so, but
1: <laughs> I, I figure it's not going to hurt the people you know who who are helping me write Closure CLR because that's that's a vanishingly small set. So I won't be turning off any potential help that way. I might actually attract people who might be actually interested in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: and yeah.
1: And it's it's actually kind of a step towards you know a, a closure and closure thing because it'll be rewritten in a very functional style at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and also, I get to learn F sharp, <laughs> which, which is nice. you know I, I like to learn new things. But, the, but
0: is is something? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, is, is it is it the um, when, when you say rewriting it? Um, are you thinking like still keeping like closure in spirit, but yeah, well, actually implementation is completely different? Or, yeah, are you thinking new features.
1: It'll be everything as much the same as possible mm. and in terms of you know the the, the uh, persistent vectors will still be there, right?
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: you know all all the supporting stuff around it, the, the, the 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 infrastructure that's needed, uh, but to do the rewrites just so I can catch all the places where I make changes, mm. like like most of it's in the compiler yeah um, and to sit down there and really rethink the compiler and not mm-hmm. slavishly follow
0: the, the their model yeah
1: I mean it, it I don't know if you've ever looked at the closure compiler itself, you know it's it's nine thousand lines in one file and yeah. you know it's it's complex and uh, it works. I don't think anybody wants to touch it particularly, but I would <laughs> redo it um, and actually, if you, if you go on to um, one of the closure sites, I don't know if it's in dev.closure or where it is, there's a very, very old file uh, out there that Rich wrote called, um, it's on dev.closure.org and it's called Compiler in Clojure. I think it was written about two years after Clojure was public, where he talks about mm-hmm. all the things in the compiler he would change if he could. Right. Um, and it's kind of like, well, why don't I do that? <laughs> uh <laughs>
2: Um, so what are the advantages from your perspective, just, just to sort of, maybe as I sort of, I'm not, in terms of like Arcadia and your perspective, and from your perspective, you get a, a new language to learn and, you know, you get, you know, potentially some some brevity over C-sharp. And mm-hmm. uh, But what are the other kind of like, let's say, performance benefits or other affordances that F-sharp would give you over C-sharp? I, I don't know that we
1: give me any affordances in in this. I, I mean, as you say, uh, less code noise. You know, a smaller code base. I don't know. You know, I'd like to use, I guess, in the design of the compiler. You know, a little more of of the sort of uh, what you see in the, in the when you look at the toy examples of doing things like compilers in F# where you you can t- really take advantage of of uh, of the discriminated unions and so forth, the data types that they use, right, um, right. you know, and just, just really write it very cleanly. Right.
2: Um does it give you a better way to manage value types, for example?
1: No, because either way, most of the work that's happening is 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 what happens at runtime, right? Oh, it's it's, it's it's doing the analysis. Yeah. It's the kind of IL you generate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to do that work in either language. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd, I think I'd rather think about it as I rework things in F-sharp. I mean, if I'm going to sit down there and do a significant retooling of the compiler uh, and, and change the kind of data structures that's churning out and sort of turning it into... Um, uh, more of a multi-pass compiler that does a lot s- smaller work on each pass and, and it should be much mentally easier to figure out what's going on. I think I'll just end up with a cleaner design. I could do that in either one. The mm. F-Sharp thing is mm. just just me saying it's partly discipline. If I reimplement the stuff in F-Sharp, I have to look at every single line of code.
2: Right, right,
1: and yes. And think about it. And, and understand why it's there, go back and look at the JVM and say what's different about it and, and really, it's as, besides my own interest in doing something different, it, it, it's a, it will force me uh, as a discipline hmm. to sit down there and look at every single thing. Hmm. I, I mean, I could translate stuff from Java to C-sharp all day.
2: Yeah, um, right, right.
1: And and rewriting it from C sharp to C sharp, it's easy just to cut and paste and say, "Well, I was good enough before," yeah. you know. But you get, so you get just,
2: fresh eyes basically. That's the interesting thing about it. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yep. But it could know- be it
0: could be it could be awesome as well because uh, especially given that now net is on Linux, it's on every platform. Yeah, yeah. So yes. essentially, you 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 can potentially take you you essentially have like a cross platform closure as well, uh, but yes. written in a better uh, compiler rethought.
1: The the changes that are happening in in the .NET world in terms of, of platform is, is extraordinarily exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah. I do not yet take advantage of any of the new stuff. I'm still delivering. Mm. I'm still delivering a, uh, a, a, a th- .NET three five version, which I, I I hoped right. to. Well, I I kept it for years longer than I wanted to because because of of Ramsey and Tim's. Yeah, All right.
3: yeah. <laughs>
1: because because Unity was stuck on three point five. I, I I wanted to dump that thing. Multiple years time. ago, but I, they were the only guys I knew who cared. So, and, and they were important. They were very important to me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I've kept the 3.5 around. So, uh, one of the things that, that's kept me from making a, a quick jump into uh, .NET standard and, and .NET core versus .NET framework yeah, yeah, and some of yeah. these yeah. others is uh, because initially there was no support for system.reflection.emit which is the stuff that does all the IL code generation. Because in the initial phases of that, they didn't know how to do that in a cross-platform way. Right. And as a matter of fact, they are now putting that stuff. Uh, it's it's already been put in as as an external library, I believe, on, in core. And of mm-hmm. course, .NET Framework, the, the main line, has, has always had it. Mm-hmm. They are going to put it in .NET Standard 2.2, is my understanding. And it's, it's put in there. Um, In an interesting way, for example, you can detect whether or not the platform you're on actually supports IL generation or not, because some platforms do not. Okay. Um, Which means, of course, you could go to a more interpreted mode on those systems if you could detect that that was the case, and so that would present some interesting delivery issues onto platforms that don't support IL code generation.
2: The biggest problem what i i don't know enough about the dotnet platform to know what like uh what core is and what standard is and and what and what these two point things mean so just just give us like a two minute and run that one just so we understand what the uh evolution has been i know that there's a concept of cross-platforming now but you know you're going into the details of it and i yeah. I, I like that but I, I don't understand where where these things vary like i don't know the difference between like. I know 3.5 is old, but I don't know how old, <laughs> and I don't know, like... Ancient. And I know that core is meant to be, you know, everywhere, but I've Come never on. heard of standard, to be honest. Okay. Yeah.
1: N- uh, no no one's listening, right? Um, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. No, no, nobody no, lives no, in this show. Yeah. Well, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm hoping you aren't either, actually. Yeah. Uh, on, I'm, 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 I'm likely to say things that, that aren't accurate because I'm not the greatest expert on all the distinctions right now, because I'm still stuck in the old world. I'm still back in 4.0. Right. Mm-hmm. But the basic idea was, as, as Microsoft has looked to moving the .NET platform off into these other venues, these, these other situations, to be able to run on Linux, to be able to run on smaller devices and, and a bunch of other places, they really want to infiltrate, right? Um, and 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 applauded. I mean, I mean that in a good sense. I, mean, yeah, I applaud their yeah, notions yeah. of getting off of of just Windows. Yeah. I mean, look at it from my viewpoint. There's be more opportunities for people to run closure CLR. Yeah. yeah, in a lot of different platforms. It'd be nice to sit down there and run it on you know that yeah, phone or, or, or you know yeah. wherever. Um, so they they started to rethink some of how that was working because not everything needed to go over. Uh, you don't need some of some of the support that's in .net, not, .net framework is going forward is is what you think of as the old .net right mm-hmm. and that's designed mm-hmm. to run the standard windows workloads and be be specific more to the windows platform and as such it needs all the support for all the different kinds of, of project types that are out there so you know uh, you know asp.net windows.forms yeah, yeah, forms, you know yeah. you know uh, all all of the traditional stuff mm-hmm. Uh, but they wanted, uh, I believe, a common set of interfaces and uh, base classes and so forth to, to, to work on a more portable basis. And so that is what the .NET standard would provide. Okay. And the .NET standard, then, you could have different implementations of that. So .NET framework would, could be an implementation of, of, of .NET standard. But mm-hmm. then there's also .NET core. And my understanding is .NET Core is where they're doing a lot of work to develop new implementations completely, like and because they, they don't have to support everything,
3: hmm.
1: and they can do. The plan is .NET Core is where they can experiment and move faster, and 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 I wouldn't say break things, but because Microsoft's pretty good about not breaking things, but hmm. you know, move into into new things quicker. And apparently, there's a lot of work on on performance issues and new things. Uh, apparently, it's 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 quite nice and quite swift, and a lot of people are very excited about it. And that's the thing that may move over to other platforms more.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but it, I, I'm still confused about all the all the distinctions because I haven't had <laughs> time to sit down and, and work through it. That's my once I get 1.10 out the door, this is my next project right, is right, to right. is to sort through all of it. But I've stayed away from it partly because, from my viewpoint, it, it wasn't yet viable because at core in, uh, in Clojure and Clojure CLR is dynamic generation of intermediate code, IL, right? And and then mm. having the jitter compile that out for you. Um, when you load a form into Clojure or Clojure CLR, it gets compiled down to IL, and then the jitter takes it the rest of the way, and then that's what actually goes, right? Mm. Um, and there was no support for... The, the API is needed for that in the original .NET Core and in .NET Standard, right. so I was stuck in .NET Framework land for the time being. Yeah. Now, some people came back and did some libraries for .NET Core, as my understanding that you can get off of NuGet and bring down to do uh, reflection. The, the 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 primary namespace is System.Reflection.Emit, where a lot of this happens. And, mm. and NuGet is but this
2: distribution environment.
1: NuGet is the distribution environment. Yes. Mm. Um, for for libraries, um, and I just read that the next release of .NET Standard, which is the, the the base APIs that everybody's supposed to be supporting, finally adds in .System.Reflection.Emit. Right. Okay. And .NET Core 3.0, when it comes out later this year, will be supporting .NET Standard 2.2. Okay. Yeah, you, that's <laughs> my, you, you, that look on your face is the I, look I, I, on my face as I'm working through this. I'm reading the announcements, and then I find,
3: and then I find <laughs> out
1: that the .NET Framework will not be supporting .NET Standard 2.2 for the foreseeable future because there's too many changes in it, and .NET mm-hmm. Framework is the slower moving thing. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm back and looking at okay, well I can't code maybe directly to .NET Standard, so that means I have to have Different builds for .NET Core and .NET Framework, mm-hmm. and maybe for Mono, and maybe for UWP. So I don't know yet what all the implications of this is, mm-hmm. but my plan going forward is certainly to move into that and maybe make. I don't know. It depends on the user base. It depends on what I find out from the community. Of mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's
0: a it's a really nice, interesting dichotomy. Right? I mean, on on the one hand, you know, the the Unity and Arcadia project is the one that is making you think ahead, and on the other hand, they're the one that are. They're pulling you back on 3.5 <laughs> They were. No more. Oh, no the, more. The, okay. No, no. That's, the latest latest
1: latest unity has moved up to 4. 4.x. So, so, 4.5, 4.6. So, so the, I, I think they're okay. Right. So um, you know, like I say, Tim's and 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 uh, Ramsey and Tim's have, have done you know some really great work and it's been very inspiring and mm-hmm. shown shown what's possible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and you know, really inspired me to think about actually putting all that work in uh, to to do this, and, and and rethink some things. For example, how, like I say, how I handle generics could be done better. Hmm. Um, you know, because there's no real notion of generics on, in, in the true sense. You don't have to; you can ignore them completely on the JVM side. Essentially, yeah, yep. you can code in it, but it disappears. So the runtime, which is what we're compiling to, doesn't really care that much. Um, and there are just things there that I think we could do that That would really enhance the utility. There's, for example, a lot of, um, uh, how, how should I say this? Let's say you you build a, um, a protocol in, in Clojure, mm-hmm. which is basically a Clojure-style interface that yeah. allows you, but it, it's designed to solve the expression problem. So I can say that this built-in class existed before this protocol. Implements the protocol, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so it allows you to have this extensibility uh, dynamically. Well, I can do that. Let's say I, I take a, a you know closure generic list of some type. Uh, sorry, the uh, um, system generic
3: mm-hmm.
1: whatever system collection generic list of some type, and I can say, well, I want to extend it. If the type arguments are object and object, let's say on a hash table, let's,
0: yeah, for yeah, example, yeah.
1: but that doesn't help me for all the other types. Maybe I should be sitting down there and saying, "Well, why can't I make this extension using type variables, hmm. right? So that I can, you know, you, you basically you want to t- t- toss me a, uh, a hash table that's keyed with int and has string values." Hmm. Well, right now I can only handle object object because I'm, yeah. I'm hard coding those the, the, those protocols in one by one. Yeah, Why nice. can't I do it with generic variables, for example, put type variables in those generic calls? So there's things to think through that would hmm. fully extend some of the closure things like protocols hmm. fully into the .NET world, and that would be some of the other things I would be doing. Because
2: protocols, nice. I guess the nice thing about protocols is you d- do declare the kind of like you say the interface so you 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 can know what's going on in the compiler you know, right cuz obviously you can redefine them at runtime but but it's that would be weird you know? uh
1: yeah but the, the the point is user code when you add new when you when you sit down and define a new piece of user code for example and you say you know I want to interoperate with all kinds of different things so i can define an, an uh, a protocol ifoo whatever yeah. And it's, it's, you can say, you know, traditionally with interfaces, anything defined after you've got the interface iFoo, you know you can say, I, I implement iFoo. But with protocols, you can come down and say, well, strings implement iFoo
3: yep. as a yes. protocol,
1: yeah, yeah, even yeah. though they pre-exist, right? Yeah. It's, it's, so it's a way of doing extension types. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and just to find out better ways to do that, it really fully incorporates things like like uh, true generics that that we mm-hmm. have would mm-hmm. be, I think, useful. Back, uh, but one more thing on protocols is JavaScript uses protocol, uh, Sorry, a Closure Script uses protocols in, in, internally for a lot of their implementation because they're in a totally different yes. land in yes. terms yes. of yes. object yes. orientation yes. In, in there. And Rich has m- made the comment at, somewhere along the line that if he were to redo. Closure. he would think about getting there's if you ever looked at closure implementation there's like you know 90 interfaces yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. i seek i i persistent vector i i yeah. i i i yeah. um, and you might take a little performance <laughs> hit but the extensibility of those of those being implemented as protocols would would give you some some mm-hmm. handle so I, I actually wrote back uh and, I usually talk to Alex Miller, and then he asks Rich <laughs> my <laughs> questions. Um, uh, Al- Alex is my filter, um, Rich's he, he, filter. He's Rich's filter. You yeah.
2: have to speak to the cardinal now. Yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, that works well. Yeah, that's um, fine. yeah. Um, Same last name, so, you know, it works, works well. <laughs> but, um, um, so... I said, "Would would Rich does Rich still think that way?" And he wrote mm. back and says, "Yeah, he would still think about if he was redoing it completely from scratch today. He would, might think about getting rid of all the interfaces and um, and going to protocols." So mm. I won't commit to doing that, but I'm going to experiment with what the performance hit would be and think about what it would be like to to redo that too. So. I, this, this closure CLR.next, whatever you want to call it, is a chance for me really to rethink everything from the ground up. I, I you know, to make it as performant, as minimal, uh, at minimum with, with what's there, to greatly increase the level of documentation, to increase the performance in these key cases, to really make it live fully on the CLR platform. Mm-hmm. And that to me is kind of like, uh, that may keep me interested for a few more years.
3: <laughs>
2: well, I
1: still got a few brain cells
0: left.
2: Sounds <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. fantastic, yeah, yeah, really good.
0: I think we we covered most of the topics that that we pinned around. Um, obviously, I mean, we can we can dig into all your experience and then uh, keep keep talking for <laughs> another four hours or eight hours or you know even even longer than that. Um, but I think we are at least for this episode. I think we reached some sort of a logical conclusion. <laughs>
1: A positive view towards the future. I think that's a good place to end. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's
2: well, really exciting. Yeah.
0: Exactly, but it, but it sounds amazing. I mean, the, the the amount of work that you've been putting in for for more than ten years now, obviously. Yeah. And um, uh, I mean, usually um, every uh, new language. I mean, I, I do consider this to be more or less like a new language because you know mm-hmm. you're you're essentially putting everything onto a different platform. Mm-hmm. It, it has a it has a bump and then. Kind of, you know, falls flat on on uh, on the implementation, um, but but you're doing amazing work, and and I hope uh, once the .dotnet platform is becoming more and more, you know, accessible on, on different platforms, this could be a really nice viable alternative. And I'm really curious about. I think once once you start thinking about F# thing, please do come back on the show, and then we can discuss yeah. you know how you how you think about F# uh, driven compiler development. Right, um, that that'll be super cool to discuss. I but think that would,
1: I, I think it will be fun too because hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to to that that particular intellectual journey. Yeah, but yeah. you know, of course, the fact that it, it's continuing is is you have to give a shout out to Rich and Absolutely. all of the other people yeah. who who of do course, this tremendous work. I don't have to think about closure. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I mean, but they're the I'm, guys thinking about closure. I'm not implementing enclosure. Yeah. and that that allows me to focus on the specific problem of what it means to have closure on the CLR. And you know, I've done that pretty much, keeping very close to to the mothership and hewing yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the next real phase for this is, is to just continue to to dance the closure dance that the, that to the tune they're playing, but add a few steps.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But but this is this is. Um, uh, I understand you. You're not thinking about closure as in the the, the feature level thing, mm-hmm. um, but. I can see that um, this is a like a you know implementing it again as a spec is a different kind of work than implementing it you know based on the code because you don't have uh, you know like a, like a spec to that that you can code to you're you're essentially trying to reverse engineer um, how closure is built and then mm-hmm. re-implementing it so that that's a different kind of work yeah totally yeah.
1: Fortunately, uh, a lot of work has also gone on, and on the closure side, there's a lot more documentation than when I started out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot more explanation of, of this is what's, how things are supposed to work, you know, and it's kind of yeah, like yeah. before that, in the very early days, I mean, 10 years ago, that documentation wasn't there. I basically, I had, you know, there's a couple web pages and the code. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so now it's it's a different world too, uh, yeah. and and it gives me a little more when I greenfield here in that sense. There's a lot more to to, to work from. So yeah,
0: fantastic! Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for your for your time and uh, all the insights. And uh, we'd really love to have you back on the show uh, again to to discuss uh, F sharp driven, you know, and, and where you're taking closure CLR. Yes. And and um, uh, any last words, Ray?
2: Um, no. Well, I think what would be really <laughs> nice would be to maybe uh sometime like next year uh to think about having like a round table maybe it's with uh ramsey and Tim's and David because uh yeah this this seems like to me I mean you know the kind of uh possibilities that performance for games that you could get in the CLR is pretty exciting to to a large community you know and I think there's a lot of yeah. um there's a lot of people out there that could that could take advantage of this so you know what I was going to ask actually was because you were saying David that there's a small community but maybe it's you know maybe it's this podcast maybe it's a little bit but maybe other things that Ramsey and you know David and Tim's that are doing to I know that they're building more of a community on the unity side and mm-hmm. it would be nice to see a bigger community developing around the CLR version as well as Microsoft open up their uh, arms a little bit nice to see Microsoft uh, you know chipping in a little bit in terms of you know maybe these one of their engineers maybe and again I don't know for instance whether they do things like in visual studio whether they whether they have closure bindings and stuff like this um you know I I don't know about those kind of affordances upstream you know that that would be quite nice yeah. wouldn't it to see those kind of things maybe they're yeah. already there but
1: it, it, it could be done. There's there was um, a, a a plugin for Visual Studio at one point that hasn't been maintained to to bring closure development onto onto Visual Studio. Yeah. There's a whole side of this I we didn't talk about, but in terms of community development, but tooling is is extremely important. Yeah, and I yeah, want to yeah. pay some more attention to that because it's it's a place where we're a little bit lacking. Yeah. Yeah. Um But that's probably longer conversations for another <laughs> another, another time, day yeah but it's really yes, good yeah yeah it's fascinating yeah.
2: stuff I mean you know I think uh, I mean definitely uh I mean, we were talking before this about the fact that we kind of got the scheduling wrong way around a little bit because you know I should have been you <laughs> yes. first then Tim's but but it's been I mean learning from both sides uh about the way the CLR operates uh and uh you know that it's that it's really uh, you know, interesting from a games programmer perspective, which is a lot of Closure people talk about performance, but I really have, like, eh, does it really matter? But I know, as you said, David, for an absolute fact that Closure, perf- performance really matters on, on, a, on a games environment. So, mm. so it's kind of interesting that your platform, your kind of version of it, is actually bu- building out that niche quite heavily. So it could be, it could mm-hmm. be a, you know, an interesting place for people to go who are interested in that. You know, more generically as you as you say because the people that are doing the Arcadia stuff now they're making very specific benefits for them if you do these generics things that that would that would broaden the value of the platform more widely I think so I think there's some exciting times ahead by your description you know.
1: Yes, I hope so. I mean, I'm 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 excited by, by it, which is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's for, it's for <laughs> a necessary de- de- thing. A decade a decade into this, I need all the stimulus I can get. So keep the dopamine um,
2: going.
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So um, amazing. Yeah, so fantastic. I think that's
0: the that on, on that um, positive note. I think uh, we'll we'll close this episode for now. Um, hopefully, one day, I was thinking, you know, we can have you. Yeah, uh, David, of course, and and then um, mm. Rich, and probably Mike or David Nolan together, and then see you know like JavaScript, TLR and then closure, and then and then we just step step back and then learn from you. That <laughs> that'll be an amazing panel. Let's well, actually, see. if if
1: you if you got if you got those two in the room, I'll, I'll step back and listen too because uh, <laughs> those are, those are some really sharp guys there, and I'd love I'd love to hear more about what they have to say.
3: Yeah, but so I you we'll, know we'll, thank you. We'll
0: try.
1: Thank you very much for for inviting me to to join you today. Um, this is actually. The only time I've ever publicly talked about Closure CLR in 10
2: years so wow okay oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> scoop for definitely. <laughs> That's amazing yeah well I mean yeah, it's been an absolute you pleasure. you heard it right yeah. here <laughs> yeah so it's, it's been an absolute pleasure I mean uh, I'm amazed because you're such a good talker and so passionate that, you know I'm I'm well lo- I hope you do it more a bit you know I'm sure there are yep. other other podcasts in the closure world and conferences and stuff that would love to have you yeah so yep. Keep it up, man. It's good
1: stuff. But, but 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 put put a pin in it too. We'll come back and uh, circle around and a while and see if I've actually done anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> I
3: mean, if... Well, you've already done a lot. So... Exactly. Well, the, new
2: yeah, just... the new things. The new things, yes. So thank you for that.
1: Because I'm, I'm very interested in seeing that story. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> okay. So that's it from us for episode number 48 with uh, David Miller and uh, discussing uh, closure CLR. And, um uh, if you're on Windows or if you're using uh, .NET CLR, do check out the Closure CLR stuff and uh, reach out to um, David on uh, Closure in Slack or something to see how you can contribute. Um, and of course, you know there, are, there, are, there seems to be plenty of work uh, that that still can be done to make it awesome, uh, Awesomer, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's it from us. And Ray, do you have any Patreon list today?
2: Uh, i haven't been very no? well recently so i haven't done any preparation i I just walked into this <laughs> no man. problem you know this is as good as it gets sorry exactly so next sorry time, sorry for that time, but next time we'll do a bit more effort and uh yeah, yeah so my apologies and but uh we've got and a thanks a, a lot
0: for for all the people who are already uh you know uh subscribing or, or showing their patronage on patreon and uh yeah, we would like to do something uh, different. Maybe uh, we'll discuss it in the uh, in the next episode or something. Yeah, yeah, we want to make some. going right. to
2: make some some benefit for these guys and girls because yeah. you know they're they're, they're really very pretty, kind, pretty man. phenomenal, and very kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, as far as we're concerned, this podcast is for everybody. Um, but yeah, but it's, it, it would be nice to do something for for those people as well.
0: Yeah. Okay, so goodbye, and uh, see you in the next episode, uh, episode number forty nine. Bye-bye. Bye.